This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. We're going to cover uh, almost the whole chapter that introduces the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, of course, is the uh, more well-known passage of Scripture at Christmas time as it tells the story of uh, Joseph and Mary and going to Bethlehem and no room and shepherds and angels and, and so forth. So uh, we're going to be in chapter 1 today, going to read a lot of Scripture. And so I hope you got a Bible. If you don't have one to look at, there's some in the chairs, under the blue chairs, back to some in the green chairs. But we're going to read like 74 verses of Scripture this morning. And I want you to be able to follow along as you take notes. But I want to start off with a question uh, to you this morning, especially if you're taking notes, jot this down. But have you ever doubted or lost your faith? You ever been through a period of time when you questioned, when you doubted, whether you wondered whether or not the word of God was true? Maybe there was a time in your life where you, uh, in your younger days, you knew the Lord and you walked with the Lord, but because of things that happened in life, and we hear this story many, many times over and over, but hear how, well, you know, and I graduated from high school and I went off to this university and I had this real smart professor that told me it was all a lie, and so I doubted God, or I hung out with the wrong crowd, or I got into a relationship with a non-believer and it took me down the wrong path, and, and or I ne- my prayer never got answered that I prayed God for, or there's some tragedy tragedy happened in my life, something that I wasn't ready for. And all you add all those things up. And yes, there was a time in my life when my faith was gone. We have people like that. I had a lady sitting right here this morning that that was her story. And, and, uh, and you know, the, how that she was, had a, had a great faith as a child, and as a young person. But then as so many of, of us do, when we get into adulthood, we stray and we wander and we think maybe there's the greener grass on the other side. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is the greenest grass in my yard is over top of the septic tank. You know what I mean? <laughs> True? Yeah, so don't always think where the green grass is where the good stuff is. You ever lost or doubted your faith? Here's a story of a man who did, and, uh, and kind of surprisingly he did, but Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. The Gospel of Luke is written by Luke, who is a doctor. He's a physician. He's a smart man. He's an educated man. He's a man who's done a lot of research, and he points this out to his friend Theophilus as he introduces the book of Luke in the first few verses, first four verses, and he says, I've carefully researched these things. And I, I tend to believe him. He was, he was that kind of a guy, uh, being a physician. He, and he says, in the days of King Herod of Judah, King Herod was an Idumean. He was not a Jew. He, um, he, he was a Gentile, but he was given by political appointment by the Caesars, uh, given rule over God's people in Israel. He did, was not a believer so much. He, uh, he, in fact, Herod, there was a whole family of them named Herod, and you see them throughout the Gospels. But they were cruel, wicked, awful people. If you study their history, I mean, they were the type of people that killed their own family members to get ahead. And uh, they did all kinds of horrible things. And, and we see them throughout the gospels and in the book of Acts. King Herod of Judah, in his days, there was a priest of Abijah's division. The priests were a family within the, within the, the nation of Israel. They were sons of Aaron, 
uh, the descended from Aaron. And uh, so they were the priests throughout all their history for the last thousand plus years, they, this particular family. And of course, the family has grown and there are probably thousands of them in this family. So who knows how many priests there are, but they've taken all this family of priests and divided them into 24 divisions. And this man is a member of Abijah's division. His name was Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. So she belongs to the same family, all right, the priestly family. Her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight. Luke, some of the details that he brings out in the story are so important. These were godly people. These were people who believed. These were people who practiced the law. These were people who took their faith seriously. They, They were righteous in God's law, living without blame. They had a good testimony according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But, verse 7 says, they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well and long in years. So he sets up the story. This righteous couple, this priest and his wife, he's in Abijah's division. And we're going to understand what that means in just a moment, practically speaking. But they had no children in the nation of Israel because the women so much wanted to have children, because as we saw in our study in the book of Ruth, it had to do with property and so forth down through the generations. It also had to do with the thought that every woman had that maybe I'll be the mother of the promised one. Maybe I'll get to be the mother of the Messiah. So it was very, very, very important. So if a woman did not have children, you know the, how, how people will gossip in the other people, in the, especially the women in the town, would, would, would get together and say, gosh, I wonder what she did wrong. I wonder what kind of sin they have committed. I wonder why God doesn't like them, you know, because they haven't had children. And that was sad that that's how people thought, but that's how people thought. And Elizabeth is going to express that later on in the story this morning. And they're both well along in years. And we're going to find out that they're so well along in years that Elizabeth really is beyond the age where she could have children. So that sets up the story. When his division was on duty, when it was their turn to go to the temple and perform all the priestly duties. Now, for a priest, that because there's so many priests in Israel at the time, the family was so huge, 24 divisions, this might be the only time in this man's life that he ever got to go to the temple and do this. So, I mean, he was looking forward to it. This was like the highlight of his life that he gets to go and serve God in the temple. His division was on duty. He was serving as a priest before God. Verse 9, it happened that he was chosen by lot. Now, that simply means that in our, how do, how do we understand that? They drew straws to see who gets to do what job today. And this is the day that I'm going to serve. What do I get to do? And, he, and Zechariah draws a straw, if you will. And this was their custom. This was their practice. And they would say, you know, how, whatever straw you draw, that must be the will of God. They drew straws and chose lots. And according to the custom of the priesthood, it was his lot, his straw, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Inside the temple was an altar for burning incense. The incense was made uh, by the priests. They had a recipe for it. It was like secret recipe, you know, that nobody knows. And, uh, and they could not share it. And they would, it was this recipe where they would take oil and spices and, and mix them together. 
go into the temple, into the first room in the temple, the holy place, and, and pour this, this, uh, this mixture, this recipe on top of this burning altar. And of course, it would burn and the smoke would come up and billow inside and some of it would come outside and it would go up to the Lord. The Bible says, and I think it's in the book of Revelation, that the prayers of God's saints are like a sweet smelling aroma to him. Well, doesn't, it's not so surprising that what's happening outside the temple while Zechariah is inside burning the incense. Verse 10, at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was outside praying. The whole congregation is outside. Everybody that could be there is gathering. It's a huge crowd, probably thousands of people. They do this every day. And these people are there and thousands of people come to pray and they're outside praying. And while he's inside taking care of this incense, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. There again is an interesting detail that we're given by Luke. He could have just said an angel of the Lord was there. No, he doesn't just say that. He's standing to the right of the altar and the the position of being on the right, if you know much about the scripture, being on the right is the position of favor. Jesus, we're told, is right now seated where? At the right hand of the Father. It's the position of favor in a court, if you will, uh, where, where the king is. Whoever sits on the right is like next, he's got the authority, he's next in line or whatever it might mean. So he's at the right, Luke tells us. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. Here's why. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah knows, I pulled the straw today to get this job. Who are you? I've never seen you before. I've no, I don't recognize you. You're not in my division. The law says no one else can come in here today and do this but me as a member of the priestly family. Who are you? And he was, fr- he was frightened to see this man there. First of all, because the guy was there. We don't know what he looked like. He didn't have wings, or I don't think that all the angels have wings, because they didn't, but, but he was probably dressed in white. When we see angels come, they're described as being white and, and, and uh, somewhat fearsome looking. And so Gabriel's there, and, he's, and he sees him there, Zechariah does, and doesn't know who he is, and says, well, what is, uh, and he was afraid, as you and I would be. Who is this person? Why is he here? The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. What do you think that prayer has been? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. God's been hearing you and Elizabeth praying for a child all these years, and now it's going to happen. That should be good news to Zechariah. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer, but will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Interesting. Why does he say that? He'll never drink wine or beer because that was sinful? No. Jesus drank wine. Why did he say he'd never drink wine and beer? Because of what the next phrase says. He will instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look up Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, 20 right in there, and you'll see that the Bible tells us don't be drunk with wine. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when you take in too much wine or too much beer, you get drunk and you are controlled by the alcohol. If you're controlled by something other than God's Spirit, it's a wrong thing that's controlling you. Some of you here this morning are controlled by caffeine, aren't you? 
Are you? Tell me just, so how many of you, can, I'm, don't raise your hand and confess, but how many say, man, I just can't make it through the morning unless I have my cup of coffee. You know, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that's, that's evil or anything like that. I'm not going down that path. But I'm just saying, what controls you? He won't be controlled by alcohol. He will turn, verse 16, many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, before the Lord, and in the spirit and the power of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Boy, do we need that today in our culture. How many children grow up not having a dad, not having a father that loves them? And what a sad, sad thing that is. And what that says about our culture. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of the, of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. The angel finishes and Zechariah responds with a question. Not a good question, Zechariah, because it tells what's going on in his heart. But he says, how can I know this? Prove it. Essentially what he says to him. For I'm an old man. And my wife, and Zechariah's been, you guys have been married a bunch of years. You'll, you'll appreciate Zechariah, what he's about to say here. He says, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He doesn't call her an old woman, all right? Thank you for, you younger men, learn that lesson from Zechariah. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's where I just came from. That's where I hang out. That's where I live. In the presence of God, and angels are created beings who do the will of God, especially messaging things. So I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, he says to him. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe. Didn't believe my words which would be fulfilled in their proper time. Well, meanwhile, outside the temple, the people were waiting for Zechariah. He's been in there a long time. Amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary and when he did not come out, he, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. In other words, when his divisions turned, when his time was done, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. I'm not sure if she was embarrassed, you know, what the deal was, but for five months she didn't go out and about in public. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. Now she's excited about it. He's looked with favor in these days to take away, get this, remember what I told you about how the culture was, to take away my disgrace among the people. When we doubt God's word, Zechariah has done. You say, well, it's the angel's word. Well, where did the angel get the word from? The angel's the messenger. When we doubt God's word, here's what happens. Practically speaking, lesson here. Our testimony and our song are gone. 
silenced. When we doubt God's word, there's nothing for us to praise God about in our lives. When we doubt God's word, we don't sing like we ought to. Zechariah's lips were sealed, if you will, by his unbelief because you did not believe, Gabriel told him. His voice to praise God would not return until his restored faith would cause him to, as we'll see, verbally immediately praise God. If you have no reason to sing, we just got done singing a bunch of songs. And sometimes I sit in places where I can kind of observe what's going on and, and I kind of feed off your, your, your praising God and it causes me to praise God. But sometimes I sit where I can see and I see people sometimes who just never sing. And, and, and you know, maybe you got a sore throat. You know, sometimes I don't necessarily sing all the time because I'm trying to save my throat for what I'm doing now. Um, but, but some people, they just like, it's like they never sing and, and, and I want to go over to them and say, what, what's wrong? Why can't you sing? And, you know I, know, I know what some people say. Well, man, if you heard me sing, you wouldn't want me to sing. Well, here's the deal. God says to make a joyful noise. How many of you can do that? You know, if you can't sing... You can make a joyful noise. And some of you do it and do that really well because sometimes I sit in front of you. And uh, I was doing that last Sunday, sitting in front of a guy who was making a joyful noise. That, and and it, it caused me to have a lot of great joy too. And I brought a big smile on my face, you know. Then, and he was doing his best. But w- when, when you lose your faith, you lose your reason to sing. You lose your ability to praise God. And that's what happened to this man, Zechariah. Verse 26. In the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent to God by God to a town in Galilee. This is about 75, 80 miles away, called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, engagement in their culture was far different than engagement is in our culture. Engagement in their culture really was a signing of the marriage contract. It was much more involved, much, much deeper meaning than what, than what our engagement is uh, today. The virgin's name was Mary. Joseph was of the house of David, by the way, which meant he was descended from King David. The angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by his statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Let me explain it to you. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Uh, The angel told Joseph, The same thing recorded in Matthew chapter one. You'll you'll name him Jesus, and the word the name Jesus is Jesus is the Greek, but the the Aramaic or Hebrew is is Yeshua, and it means Jehovah saves. You'll call his name Jesus. He's told Joseph is told for he will save his people from their sins. The angel says you're going to call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I've not been intimate with a man. The angel replied to you, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his 
only begotten son. There is an error in Mormonism that says, amongst many errors, it says Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. That's what they believe. Hogwash. All right? He is the only begotten son, the son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for who, her who was, called, who was called childless. I love verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. As the angel greeted Mary, just a couple things, let me make really, really clear, because again, lots of error on some things about what happens in this story. As the angel greeted Mary, number one, he did not worship her or pray to her. As the angel greeted Mary, you know what he did? He greeted her. Hello, Mary. He greeted her. He didn't worship her. He didn't say anything spectacular about her other than, number two, he did not say that she was full of grace. He said she was favored. It's a very similar statement that's made in Genesis chapter 9 verse, or chapter 6 verse 9. Similar statement made about Noah. Do you know what it says about Noah? God chose Noah to build an ark. And it says very simply, and Noah found grace or favor in the sight of the Lord. Doesn't mean Noah was perfect. We know he wasn't. Doesn't mean Mary was perfect. We know that she wasn't, and you'll see why in just a moment. But for God's reasons alone, Mary was the one, the woman who would become the mother of God's son. Now, we look at this story of Mary and compare it with the story of Zechariah and the visits of the angels and what they said to each of them, and we come up with this conclusion about Mary. It is okay to wonder about God. That's not what Zechariah did. Wonder and doubt are not the same. Wonder and, and wonder's like a curiosity. Okay, how is this going to happen? Doubt is a rejection of truth, and that's what the angel Gabriel told Zechariah. Because you did not believe this is what will happen. But Mary doesn't disbelieve. She just doesn't understand. She's, been, she's wondering. By the way, which, you just answer it in your own mind, but which do you think was harder to believe, that your wife in her senior years can conceive your child, or that a virgin can conceive God's child? What do you think would be harder to believe? Secondly, who would, who would or who should have had, if we can say it that way, of these two people, who should have had the greater faith? The godly, elderly priest who's been serving God and living by the law all his life or the teenage girl? Who should have had the greater faith? Mary's praise, verse 46, shows the difference between doubt and wonder. Let's, um, let's see, let's start, well, we left off with verse 37, 38, so let's start with verse 39. And in those days, again, Elizabeth, six months along, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. Now, they're cousins, they're relatives. She heard Mary's greeting. Hello, Elizabeth, this is Mary. Anybody home? And it says that when she heard the greeting, the baby leaped inside her. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, you are the most blessed of women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, Elizabeth wonders, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Wait a second, who told her that? She's not been visited by the angel Gabriel. Who told her that? She's filled with who? The Holy Spirit, and he's revealing this to her. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Hey, if there's an argument for being pro-life, here's a great one. Six months along, this baby is recognizing voices and he's, all of you ladies who are, who are moms, you've experienced, because I've been with a mom who's experienced this three separate times, baby's kicking, the baby's doing this. You know, check out the elbow sticking out here. You know, all those kind of things that happen when you're carrying a child. This baby wasn't just turning over, this baby leaped. You know, and I don't know how far he got, but it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a big deal to, whoa, what was that? And, and uh, the baby leaped for joy inside me. She who has believed, she's speaking about Mary here. She who has believed because of what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. Awesome story. So Mary responds with a very famous passage of scripture. We sang from it a few moments ago. It's called the Magnificat. Meaning she glorifies God. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Let me stop again there. Some people believe Mary was perfect. And Mary never sinned. And, you know, Mary calls God her what? Who needs a Savior? A sinner. Mary would not have called him her Savior had she not needed to be saved herself. So here's Mary saying, I rejoice in God my Savior, my spirit does, because he, here's why, because he's looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave, talking about herself. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. I always wonder, you see all these pictures, especially from the Renaissance, Christmas pictures, you know, of, of the mother and child and the Madonna, child, whatever, however they And you always see, you know, you get, they got this, this kind of angelic glow around Jesus' head, you know. You know what I'm talking about? And they have one around Mary's head as well. And I want to know why, why has Mary got one? She's a sinner. I understand why Jesus has one. That means he's God. But she's not. Hmm. Where are we? Where, where did I leave off? Verse 51, verse 50. 50. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He's scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He's satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. Wonder and doubt. Mary wondered about God. And, and these words of praise that she gives shows the difference between doubt and wonder. She believed even though God's plan for her was humanly, biologically impossible and beyond her comprehension. She still believed. 
verse 57. We'll read down through the rest of the story. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. And then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. You know, Elizabeth's had her baby, got a little boy. Everybody's excited, you know, awesome for Elizabeth. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, that was prescribed by the law, the law of Israel. On the eighth day, you take the male child to the, to the synagogue or to the temple. Probably they went to the temple because they're not far from Jerusalem and have him circumcised on when he's eight days old. They're going to do that. And that was the day you named the child and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives has that name. Where'd you come up with that name? That's not a family name. It's not his daddy's name. Where'd you get Zechariah from? So they motioned to his father, Zechariah, to find out what he wanted him to be called. Let's ask dad. So Zechariah calls for a writing tablet and writes down, his name is John. And they were all amazed that he named him John. But what's more important is what comes next. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, doing what? Praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. Fear because what? This guy has been unable to speak for nine months, and now he's able to speak, and the first things that come out of his mouth are not how excited he is to have a little boy. His first words come out are praising God. Miracles happen, and that sometimes causes fear. They, and all these things are being talked about all throughout the hill country of Judea. It spread all around the countryside. And all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, what then will this child become? This must be a special kid. What's going to become of him? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's another one, filled with the controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption. Now, if you've been through our study in Ruth, you understand what that means. He's provided redemption. He's raised up a horn. Horn carried oil is what they filled up the anointing oil with. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, the promise 2,000 years ago that he would send Messiah and that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He has given us the privilege that we have been rescued from our since we have been rescued from our enemies' clutches. He's given us the privilege to serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in His presence all our days. By the way, how long should you be serving God, Christian? All our days. And you, child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. Now he turns his attention to his son. He's been praising God, talking about Jesus, who's not yet been born, who's still three months off. Is that right? Three months, six months? He's talking about Jesus now. Now he's converted and he changes and he talks to his son. You, child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. Here's his prophecy coming in. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Where did he get this stuff, by the way, from Gabriel, when Gabriel first announced all this to him? 
to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us. Again, our Christmas songs speak about day star, uh, often different words like that. That's where this comes from. The dawn, Christ from on high, will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and in the, sh- and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Lost faith can be restored. It can be recovered. And that's what we see here in Zechariah. Faith that is restored. And, and, and if you're somebody who, this is your testimony, that I was a believer when I was young, or young, sometime earlier in my life, I got away from God, but God brought me back to himself. Faith that is restored or recovered is very often even stronger than it was before. And notice carefully again that Zechariah's praise to God wasn't about his own son. He gave him a prophecy, but he praises God about Jesus. Because he is always, Christ is always to be the object of our faith and our praise is always to give him glory. I think too often this time of year, Jesus gets the second, you know, the second part. He plays second fiddle to Santa Claus and, and, and the gifts and the tree and the decorations and everything else. Let me encourage you parents of young kids, elevate Jesus on Christmas day, celebrate his birth. Let your kids know this is really what this is all about. Have the fun and do all the rest, but make sure Christ gets the praise and the glory. Lost faith can be recovered. And it is in Zechariah. His his speech is restored to him and immediately he breaks forth into praising God. Awesome story. How can I make a faith come back? How can I, if maybe you're here today and you've lost your faith or you're doubting right now, how can you make a comeback? Let me give you several suggestions. And I think it's truth. Number one, be honest about why or how it was lost. How'd you lose it to begin with? Was it my impatience with God? With him coming through and answering a prayer? Who knows how long this couple had been praying this prayer? 20, 30 years probably to have a child. After you pray something like that for that long, is it kind of like, you know, what's the use? He doesn't hear us. Impatience on our part. Was it my gradual wandering from him and allowing sin to become sins in my life and pull me farther and farther and farther away from him and allowing those things to become more important in my life materialistically and however it might be to become more important in my life than my my relationship with God Almighty, with Jesus Christ, his son? Was it someone, not God, but was it someone else who may, maybe, have, maybe caused you pain? Maybe it was your pastor. Maybe it was a friend of yours in the church. Maybe it was your boss. But somebody did you wrong in your eyes, and that turned you off, and you said, I'm done with this faith thing. What was it? You have to be honest about it. Zechariah knew exactly what, what, what caused the problem that he had, and it was his unbelief, and it was the unbelief and not trusting God that he could do what he said he was going to do. You have to be honest about that. Secondly, you have to accept that God never makes a mistake. The Bible says about God in the Old Testament, it says that there's this phrase that says, his ways are higher than mine. What does that mean? Picture, if you will, a window in your house 
that's out of your reach. You can't see through. It's way up high. Maybe you have a cathedral ceiling and you've got a window way up there and you cannot see what's outside of that window unless you get up on a ladder. But the deal with God's window in your house of faith, if you will, is God's window is set up so high that you don't have a ladder tall enough to ever get to see through it. But you know it's up there. And you know God's got something for you on the other side of that window that he wants you to know about, but he's not letting you in on that right now. His ways are higher than mine. I can't see out that window. I can't get up there yet. But God's got something there for me to understand one day, and I'm going to have to just be patient with that and wait to see it. He can see the bigger picture of my life, and I can't do that. I don't even understand sometimes when things happen in my life, and there are times when God allows things to happen in my life, frankly. I bet this is true with you too, that I just say, God, I don't agree. God, I I vote no. And so God gives me a vote, you know. I don't agree, God, with this, especially at this time in my life, I might disagree. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Faith isn't always easy. It's not. It's not always easy because there's so many things in our lives that want to tell us not to believe. I got to accept that God never makes a mistake, that everything he does, his ways are higher than mine. I may not understand it right now, but God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's going to work things to work together for my good because I love him and and so forth. Then number three, acknowledge that he is God and I'm not. Okay, God, because I don't understand doesn't mean I can be God in my life. You're God. I am not. The greatest act of your faith as a Christian is when you very simply, and this is not a popular term, but when you surrender. Surrender your life, surrender your will, surrender your emotions to the Lord. Because here's what happens. When I don't surrender, when I take control of my life and I say, God, I don't like this that you're doing in my life. I don't like this direction. I'm I'm not happy with whatever it might be. And we begin to build. And when we take control of our own life, we begin to build up a wall between us and God. Now, it's not like God can't get through that wall, you know, piece of cake for God. But he doesn't let, he does, he's not the one tearing down the wall. He wants us to disassemble the wall and come to him. That's how, that's how that works. So we build up these walls, acknowledge that he's, not, that he's God and I'm not. And then number four, be grateful for his grace that allows us to recover the faith we've lost. Be grateful for his grace that allows us to recover the faith that we've lost. And here's, here's what I mean by that. It is never too late to come back to God. As long as you're breathing... Not at me if you're breathing. Yeah. Yeah, as long as your heart is beating, as long as your brain is making waves. Now, not everybody can nod. But as long as you're breathing, as long as your, your heart's beating, as long as you're alive, there's still time to come back to God. And Zechariah had to wait nine months. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? I'm sure it did to him. He's a priest, for Pete's sake. He was a godly man. He should have never doubted God, but he did, and now he had to wait nine months for his faith to be recovered. And here's the thing. It's never too late as long as you're alive, and if you come back to him, catch this. This is so important. You come back to him on his terms. You don't make deals with God. God, if you do this, I'll do that. 
If you, again, it goes back to surrender. If you come back to him on his terms, the Bible tells us that he welcomes you back. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. You know that story? The father's looking down the road. Son's been gone for a while. And he looks down the road and he sees a figure and he realizes who it is. And the most amazing part of that story is not so much the repentance of the son. The most amazing part of the story is that the father ran to greet him. The father did, ran to greet him. He was so glad to have him back. That's what's amazing because fathers in the Middle East did not do that. Too much pride. But our Heavenly Father, we come to him on his terms. He welcomes us back and he wipes the slate clean. And no one, I don't care what you've done, I don't care how far, how long you've been away from him, no one is beyond his love and his grace and his embrace. Would you pray with me? I can't look inside anyone's heart here today. So this, I didn't sit back this week and say, God, so-and-so is going to be in church and I got a sermon just for him or just for her. It doesn't work that way. But I, I kind of can speculate and say, there may be somebody here who has wandered away from God, whose faith has, you've been, you've been deluged in for whatever reason in your life with doubts, not wonder, but doubt, rejecting God's word. And maybe you have just turned and walked away. Maybe you're here this morning because it's Christmas time and, and okay, we need to go to church, it's Christmas. But maybe you've not been living like you really truly believed and maybe it's been a long time. Do you think that somehow God can't forgive what you've done? Do you think he no longer desires a relationship with you? Zechariah's story. Zechariah went from being righteous, holy, religious leader to doubter. And again, it took nine months of losing something that nobody wants to lose. And sometimes that's how God gets our attention. But during that period, he realized God answered his prayer. And when he was given the chance to express his faith and praise, he did so. And maybe this morning you're here today because God's saying, let me give you a chance. Let me give you an opportunity this morning to turn back to me, to recover your faith. What will you say to him? This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 